Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deadline City. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I'm Danielle Clayton. Tell us where we're going this week, Danielle. Today, we're going to go to Agent Avenue. It's Great. like the Avenue of the Americas, the Champs-Élysées. I can never say the second part of that, but I love walking. Yeah. I don't know how to say it at all. The Champs-Élysées. There we go. It's that E-D combination with the apostrophe in there. I don't French. Um, so. I mean, yes. I do French, but not the language. Right. Just- it's the Imperial Mile. <laughs> I, hate, I hate you. Um, because I think we should talk about agents. There's a lot of agent chatter on the timeline. There's a lot of agents have been such a huge part of my journey. I've mm-hmm. recently had an agent change. And I just felt like this is something that we haven't actually done a really serious deep dive into um, yeah. in a way to help those who are at all different points in their career think about agents. So I figured we would do an episode and let's first kick it off with our agent journeys. So yeah. you've been on a from rodeo to too end. from beginning to end. <laughs> so talk to me. Because you're, you've, you're an old dog. I'm an old dog in this industry, first of all. <laughs> I, I'm from Hollis, Queens. From Hollis, Queens. I was born seven pounds, six ounces in Guayaquil, Ecuador. So my agent journey is interesting because I had a non-traditional entryway into being an author. Um, when I was, uh, gra- I had graduated high school and I dropped out of college when I was during my first year of college, I was like, "Mm, I'm just not going to go anymore. I hate it. I was at Marymount Manhattan college in the city. Um, I was like, I'm going to try to find out everything I can about being in publishing. I was like, I'm going to change my edification. I wanted to know how the sausage was made. And uh, so I got an internship at a literary agency. I learned a whole lot. That's where I met my first agent. She told me uh, she wasn't a full agent yet. I think she was a, she was an assistant. Um, and she said, if you know, finish a book and I'll represent it. And because I had always wanted to be a writer, she convinced me to finish a book. I did. We went out with it, got rejected all over town. Uh, you know, the, that's the one where I was like, we already have a Latino book for the season. Um, and, and that was my first rejection. And then I never wrote again. I didn't write for a whole year. I moved to Montana. That's not a long time in Zoraida years. I know, but I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get published. I'm 19 years old. Um, my life was over. I know. I wanted, I wanted to be one of those like shiny young, uh, authors like my, uh, my author inspiration, Amelia at Water Roads, who got published when she was 13. Obviously, now I know that that mentality is toxic. You can become a writer whenever you want, even when you're 60 years old. So there's no expiration date. There's no expiration date. But that was my first agent. And she really like gave me the kick in the nest, the kick out of the nest that I needed in order to go and try to become a writer because without her, I wouldn't have finished an actual draft. So that was my first experience. I was with that agent um, from essentially 2008 until 2018, mm-hmm. right? So that saw, uh, my debut novel, The Vicious Deep and subsequent books. Um, uh, so 
I I actually can't remember how many books we sold together um, because math, but I was getting frustrated with my career. Um, and it I don't want to blame, you know, anybody. Um, it was just a matter of knowing that we had to part ways. We'd sort of achieved the way that I look at it now is we've achieved the highest level we could together. And now we had to go our separate ways. And the thing that really pushed kick, like was like the kick that I needed was I had two conversations with two writer friends. And one of them asked me, it was like independent of each other. They, they, I don't know how, what, like what made them ask me this, but one of them asked, are you happy? Does your agent have a plan for you? And I said, I don't know that nobody's ever asked me that before. And, and so that was sort of the beginning of the end. Um, because I couldn't answer that question, honestly. And I couldn't, I couldn't give, you know, my, like the person asking me was like, you know, an author who like achieved so much stuff. And, and I was like, or I want to be able to have a shot at all of these things. Right. Um, but something's, I know I, I know I'm a good writer. I just, something's like preventing me, right? Something's like in my way. And then a few months later, I go to another event and another writer friend asked me like, are you happy with your agent? And I, and, and that by then the answer was no. And it had been a year. And so I like not being able to answer that. I was, I was, you know, I, I felt my own frustration. Um, and they said, um, by the time that they fired their agent, it was like two years too late. And it sort of put things into perspective that like, I've already had these feelings for a long time. And I know that like my agent at the time is like super passionate and cared a lot, but it was just, there's just something that wasn't working for Mm us. Right. And for me to like, and I needed to reach that next level. And so, um, it was the literal hardest thing that I ever had to do because this is somebody who like literally watched me grow up. From right. a like a dumb 19-year-old to a barely functioning 28-year-old. I mean, you're here, you're alive, you have wine, you're living your best life. Yeah. Um. So um so we parted ways. Um and I I took about a month and then I researched, got a new agent. Um, and I was with that agent for about a year, but I didn't, I had so many book deals. This was like my nightmare 2017. Yeah. You were in where, a vortex. Well, because that's the thing, right? I was just taking on projects and that, that goes back to the idea of not having a plan. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So I fucked myself with all these contracts and we've talked a lot about this on deadline city, but so I won't go back into it, but like, I was like writing all these books and trying to finish it. So I didn't have anything for the agent to sell. So I was just like, Oh my God, thank God. Like somebody wants me, um, that I, because even though I don't have anything that to give them. So two years later, I just was no longer satisfied because I still couldn't answer the question, what is the plan? And that was so frustrating to me because I've been in this for so long and I should know that by now, right? I should know the answer to that question. Um, and, and so I, need, I, I started realizing the kind of writer that I am, the kind of things that I need in order to uh, quell my anxieties, um, the kind of relationship that I need to have with my agent, uh, the 
what I should, what I expect from their behavior and communication skills. And it's taken me, it took me too long to figure that out, but I'm also figured it out though. Some people don't, I just don't like to give up on people. And that's my own fault. That's like my own personal fault. Right. You extend a lot of grace and you give people a lot of space to either correct or like get themselves together at the detriment to yourself. But that's what we do when we love people and when we when our professional relationships become personal ones too. Or we that's like true. Yeah. we love them. And because it's hard. Like this is a business of subjectivity. There's highs, there's lows, and you love your agent. Like you they become not your friend, but they become an ally in your work. They become an extension. It's not right. the same as like some, you know, somebody who works for you. I mean, they do, but you guys are in it together. So they're We're in together because, uh, you know, their source of income is directly correlated to my creativity. Mm-hmm. And my source of income is also a direct correlation to my creativity and is also in direct correlation with their effort. So right. it is a, you know, it's an Ouroboros of, of, uh, of effort and, and dreams and desires and hopes and, 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 and hard work. Um, and, and so then I finally, you know, I took some time, I took months and I took months this time and I was like, I have nothing going on. Uh, so I'm going to, during this period of, I, I have to finish my contracts, I decided to wait. Um, and then I found my, my dream agent. Are you going to go into that? I can. So I found now I'm wrapped by Susie Townsend at New Leaf Literary. Um, and I discovered that I am the kind. I, so I answered all of the questions that I had, right? Do I have a plan? Uh, do I have the communication that I need? Mm-hmm. Do I have somebody who reads and respects my work, right? Not that the other agents didn't, but it was, you know, it's like, did you feel that way? Yeah. And that, um, that was a value. It's nice to have that, right? And, and sort of like the confidence of knowing that I'm on the right track. Um, so that's, that's been very refreshing. And um, I had several conversations. And this time, because of you and other friends, like I knew what to ask people. Right. And we're going to get into that. But it's so interesting that your journey, you know, you were with one person for a long time when you were still building um, and figuring out who you were as an author and you were throwing things at the wall to figure that out, right? Taking a lot of contracts. And then you went to someone else and that didn't work. And then finally you found the place where you feel like you should be. Um, I feel like I had a similar journey, but some different sort of turns. Um, I got my first agent. A lot of people don't realize this agent in 2008. and she was at like a one of the oldest literary agencies. And it was great. It was one of those freak things of luck where I queried my master's thesis and got the first agent that I queried. But then the recession hit and she left publishing. So the like fairy tale, oh my God, I'm in my early 20s. I got this thing that I didn't even know I really, really wanted. And then it went away. Right. So then I was like, okay, well, clearly it wasn't time. My mother always says that. And I don't know whether it's true. She's much more spiritual than me, but she's like, you know, 
things come in their time. And it wasn't time. So then I continued my teaching job. I kept sort of writing, scribbling away, trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with this novel? Am I going to write other books? Took workshops. I also started following a blog called The Long Stockings, which charted the, um, just the drama, not the drama, but like the writing lives of a few people, a few women who went to the new school in the Writing for Children program in New York City. And one of those women was Jenny Han. And another woman was Siobhan Vivian. And I was, I like look forward to their daily installments of like grad school and what they were working on back in the day of the blog. Um, And I realized I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I need to, you know, I had a master's in children's literature. So I had studied the canon of children's books from an academic point of view. I said, maybe I need to like take two years and try to focus on writing and see what comes of it. So because my parents are wonderful, they were like, great. Did you save the money? Yeah. Moved to New York. Moved to New York. I got a job uh, reading slush for a literary agent where I learned a lot just by watching for about, uh, about a year. And I was at the new school, just writing, 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 writing. and. I was able to sort of learn the ranks. And while I was working for that literary agent, he introduced me to another really big agent. And so I signed with her. And that's where I started incubating my company, Cake Literary, working on um, Tiny Pretty Things and my middle grade stuff. And we were, I was with her for about two and a half years. But we were just revising, 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 30-page edit letters, just like constant revision. Nothing was coalescing. And I was like, we're almost to year three. And I have not been able to sub anything just to even test the market. And I finally said, I said, you know, I think I need someone that will jump off a cliff with me and try it out. That will have the faith in what they see in my work that it doesn't have to be perfect to sell, but there has to be some ideation in the pages and like at a line level, something there, someone who saw that. And so it was tough because she's a huge agent, but we parted ways. And then I signed with another person. So I'm like on number marriage, number three, hoeing out here, you know, trying to make it work. And I can't believe you said hoeing. Hoeing out here (laughs) in these streets, going to my third wife, And my third wife, I was with her for eight years and a lot went right. And then a lot went wrong, right? A lot that went right was that she was ready to jump off a cliff with me to take all the time and energy admit to uh, put together a packaging company from scratch uh, and have faith that my background as a librarian and a teacher and having a master's in children's literature and an MFA in writing for children that I knew what I was doing, that I understood story, that I understood the market, that I understood what children wanted to read, especially children of color, and was like, bet, let's send some stuff out. Let's see what's what. And editorial enough that we could send out good things. And so we had a really good run. But then your priorities start to change as you start to move into other aspects of your career. And I started to have new priorities. Um, I wanted better contracts. I wanted to feel like I didn't have to do trace all of the admin to the detriment of my writing. 
I wanted to know that my submissions were being handled in a particular way and that the messaging of the company was coming across. And so we end, you know, and that I had a protector and a buffer between me and a corporation or me and an editor or me and that team and that communication that things were being clearly communicated to me. So then I had to move to a brand new team (laughs) again. (laughs) And so now I'm on, now I'm on agent team number four. And it's different this time around. It's not one person. It's a team. So I have um, two fabulous agents, uh, Molly Kerhan and Jenny Bent from the Bent Agency that represent my personal work. All the stuff that Danielle Clayton does, that's just me. And then I have Joanna Volpe and Susie Townsend who represent Cake Literary, which is my business. I'm in all of the books that I do there. And so the two teams work in synergy and quite differently. And it's just been, it's just been refreshing and really, really fabulous. And it took me going through all of these different things to get to where I am. And that's why I wanted us to do this um, episode because I feel like both of us have had some overlaps in things that went wrong and overlaps in things that went right. So let's first, what makes for a good agent for you? What have you learned? I have learned that I'm the kind of author who needs a lot of communication. I need clear communication. With my first agent, we were in constant communication. We talked every single day. Like I, and, and that was the thing, like the friendship and the professional started blurring. And then with my second agent, I had a lot less communication than I was used to and that I think was appropriate. So we try to fix that. Um, it didn't work. <laughs> and so for me, that's, that was like key number one, clear communication. I never wanted to feel like I was misunderstanding something. And I think that as authors, we create the scenarios right? My mind goes to from zero to worst case scenario in like 10 seconds. Um, and so if I don't hear from you in several, several weeks, then I am just assuming that like, I'm assuming the worst all the time. Right. And, and so that was, that was, I think that's the number one thing for me. Yeah. For me, um, of course, communication is key. I think what I needed and what I wish that I knew that I needed when I started out writing was strategy that I needed to think through what kind of author I want to be, where do I want my books to be? What is my, what is my plan? And someone to push me to sit down and think about what is your plan, bitch? Like, what do you actually want to do (laughs) with your body of work? And I think what makes for a good agent is someone who thinks through, well, what do you need? What do you want? And asking those questions will help them help you. Um, Because if I say that I want to be Stephen King, that's a very different thing than saying that I want to be Holly Black, right? Yes. And thinking about Stephen King does a lot of books. Consistently and constantly, right? Consistently, yes. Holly does really great series, right? So she has all of these beautiful series. She has a couple of standalones. She's a short story collection. 
Mm-hmm. She has a an eclectic um, body of work. Right. And but still know but it's there's her. a thread of holly black through it, right? There's like a mm-hmm. black thread through it. Everything ties together. When I look at her books, when I read her books, there's something that connects them all in this constellation of like, what is Holly Black? And I think like telling my agents exactly like the type of career, I love her career. I think it's fantastic. She's like that slow burn, slow build. People love her work. She has loyal readers. Just, I think is something that if I had known that when I came in, because I do two different things, just like you, I do fantasy, but I also do contemporary with thriller aspects or whatever. Um, just contemporary. I want to I talk about that because, you know, I think that I get a lot. So one of the questions that people ask me all the time is like, well, what if I want an agent? What if, do I need another, do I need a separate agent if I want to do high fantasy? But I start off like my debut is romance, contemporary romance. Um, and I think that that goes into strategy, right? What do you want to be known as first? Your debut is sort of what marks you in the very beginning. Um, it is like, it is the thing that you launch your career with, um, but it's not your last book. And I think that that's where a lot of writers need to remember that your debut is not always going to be your, your only book. You're going to have more, you're going to have a body of work, but you need somebody to guide that body of work. And to be honest with you, with the amount of, um, and to be honest with you about their ability to represent that work, because if your agent says, I don't represent that, but I'll represent it for you. Then that tells me that you don't, I shouldn't give you that book because you don't have the contacts in that network. Right. Um, there are some agents who specialize in a field, uh, whether it's high fantasy or romance, and they know those, they know those editors, they have those connections and this industry is built on connections. So if you haven't, like if your agent just decides one day, okay, you're going to be my experiment into hard sci-fi, but none of the sci-fi editors are going to respond to your email because they have no idea who you are. Do you want to be that person's experiment? Right. And I don't want, I don't want to be an experiment. No, I want to be with someone who knows what they're doing. And if they don't know what they're doing, they figure it out. So if I give my agent Santa erotica and like, thank you. I would never, but let's say I did that. I would want my agent to be like, let me go talk in house about, <laughs> I don't do Santa erotica, but let me go figure out what we can right. do here and how we can make this work because this is what you want to write. I also need someone to advise me that like, maybe not this book as the next book, maybe think about this other thing because we're building X, Y, and Z for your readership to think long-term with me versus book to book. And I felt like for a while I was just trying to book to book to book to pay the bills versus saying, sit here for a while and let's try to get more here before you jump to X, Y, and Z into the other things. Otherwise, I think it can just be, you can create chaos without someone who knows the market helping you make sense of it and move Mm -hmm. forward. And so that was something that was very important to me that I really needed um, in an agent, a sense of strategy, a sense of the long game, a sense of who I am and what my goals are 
which that's on me, but someone who recognizes and is excited about digging in there with me, because if they're just going to want to throw slop at the wall and see what fits, that's not a good agent for me. I need strategy. Right. And I need, I need structure because I also need somebody to tell me no, because yeah. in the very beginning, <laughs> I was like, oh, I yeah. shall tell you no. Oh, oh, somebody, somebody wants me to write for XYZ. Like, yes, the answer is yes. Um, somebody wants my book even, but they don't want to, they want to pay me zero, literally zero dollars. That's fine. I'll do it. I just want to put my name out there. Right. I just want somebody to be able to say, not this deal. Right. And I finally have that. Yes, you and, do. And it feels so good to have that because with a smile, like, um, <laughs> this is worth your time. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but I do think, and and that's that's a value on its own because I now I still feel terrified because saying no to something after saying yes all the time is scary. What if yeah. nothing else comes along? But yeah. I have learned that when you put out content consistently and you know your voice and you are proud of the work that you're putting out and people start paying attention, then something will come along. I agree. And I also think it goes back to like betting on yourself <clears throat> and having a sense of that end goal and having faith and patience. Everyone wants it right now. They want the whole thing. They see people and say, oh, they're an overnight success. They have no idea the time and energy and forethought it took to become an overnight success. And so I just feel like communication makes for a good agent, making sure that your communication pattern matches how you communicate and your Mm -hmm. needs. And you knowing that, you need to know that and not go into this relationship trying to placate, trying to be agreeable, trying to bend yourself into another shape to have this agent be excited. No, be like, tell people what you need. It's very much my father always says to me since I was a child that there are no mind readers in his house. I feel the same way when it comes to your agent relationship. That person isn't reading your mind. So you need to clearly articulate what you're expecting and what you need and say, hey, I like a weekly check-in or a bi-weekly check-in. Is that possible? And the agent could say, well, right now we're not on submission and you're editing your book. So how do you want to do that? Do you want me to check in with you about your edits? Do you want to do a call twice a month until you're done? Coming up with that relationship plan at the onset, that would have helped me. I would have made fewer mistakes had I known I need, and I don't even need that much communication. I just need to know, I just need to know I have consistent checkpoints coming. Oh boy, like the 15th in the month is coming. That means I'm going to be checking in with my agent. Obviously Mm -hmm. now I talk to my agents a ton just because (laughs) I'm at a different point in my career. So like fancy ho, I'm a fancy ho now. So I'm on that phone (laughs) with them almost every day. There isn't a day that goes by that I'm not talking to one of my one of my four agents. Right. Or five. And see, now I don't, I no longer feel anxious that I'm missing information. Um, and trust goes right along with communication right. because if you feel like you can't trust your agent to forward an email, right. 
um, or an opportunity that they, they, um, they sort of censor for you or they filter for you. And, and, and I do think that a function of an agent can be to be that filter, but you have to have that conversation beforehand, right? Like if I said, don't bring me any requests for IP, don't bring me any requests for, um, blurbs or blurbs Mm -hmm. then that's then you have established those parameters but an agent should never take it upon themselves to to do that without checking in with you right about what your parameters are right i get a lot of spam requests so they filter out like this isn't this isn't anything but like all the other major stuff i want to see um it's just part of who who i am another big thing about communication that i wanted to hammer in Something that I learned while, you know what I mean, going through the fires of um, what it means to have an agent in this business and to try to, to publish consistently is I was having issues. You have an editorial relationship, right? And I think we should do a Deadline City episode on this, but your editor-author relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's a precious relationship, but it is still a business one. But the way that publishing makes the editor-author relationship, it can often feel like exclamation points and confetti and yay, we're doing books, right? And so when it gets to the hard stuff, it can be hard to communicate those things like uh, covers, especially for, for BIPOC people like uh, stereotypes, um, right. inappropriate um, editorial feedback, inappropriate comments. And I needed to know that my agent would deliver those messages for me and that could see it. I don't expect someone who's not of my same culture to always be attuned in the same way that I am to, to these kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. But to know without me having to tell you that when it's egregious, that it's egregious. And being able to step in and say, hey, we're not going to do that. This is, and here's why. Um, and where I don't always have to be the mean black lady all the time. And I felt like, I had to do that. I had to always advocate for myself. And I always had to like sacrifice my, myself um, in the gauntlet of uh, the diversity gauntlet and can ruin my relationships with publishers because I'm constantly, I can be seen as constantly complaining or constantly saying um, this cover is inappropriate. Here are the reasons why blah, blah, blah. I'm constantly in education mode. So to have an agent that has taken a lot of that off of my plate, who knows intrinsically, already oh because they have done the work they're doing actively the work of reading and educating themselves identifying systemic um white supremacist thinking patterns and like structural things in publishing they're constantly doing that work so therefore i don't have to do all of it that was that was important to me and knowing that when they picked up the phone to talk to my editor that i would get a report back from my editor that was both honest and truthful and they're warm and friendly to that, to that editor, but they are always firmly rooted on my side. I couldn't say that that was always the case where I felt like I was being thrown under the bus or I could feel like I wasn't being told exactly what was said on, on the phone or it was like a messed up game of telephone that led to weird expectations and mishaps. And microaggressions and on your, for you. Microaggressions, yeah. It was, it was bad because then I was operating under false pretenses and that would always blow up. Right. So that kind of communication is important to me. Um, and it's something that I look for. And now I love it. 
I know that when one of my agents talks to one of my editors, I will get an email that details what they talked about and an offer to debrief with me via phone Mm -hmm. to say, do you want to talk about what I sent? I sent it so that it's like fresh there for our records, but also let's talk on the phone. Let's talk strategy. What do we want to do here? Right. Freaking love it. And then it's like a follow-up. I'm CC'd. It's like, oh, given our current conversation that we've had, blah, blah, blah. And it recaps. And it's like, here's what we're going to do. And I just freaking love it. It just feels so good to have that level of thoroughness. And confidence in, in, in the ability to, mm-hmm. to like, in, in sort, it's sort of like a peace of mind, um, which is really refreshing. And I, I think that that's something that everyone should keep on the lookout for, for how they feel. You know, I, I've had a lot of people come to me, um, over the last year because everyone's making big changes, right? Everyone's been making yep. big changes. Nothing tells you, you know, it's hard because pandemic has radically changed the life of the world. Um, and so it, it it's also become, um, a reckoning moment for to test relationships um and a lot of you know i i parted ways with my agent in the right smack in the middle of the pandemic and and that was that was really hard because on one hand you're like well it's a pandemic but on the other hand we're still actively working and my work never stopped right does you know coronavirus couldn't stop my work um it halted it for a little, for a period of time. Um, and there were some really bad moments, but it, at the end of the day, I still have, I still have to keep writing. Right. Right. And you have to keep moving forward. Um, and a way to make yourself feel good about the work is to know that all of the other stuff is being taken care of. One of my major goals too, when I moved agents was to recognize and realize and remember that my only job here is to do the work of writing and to do the work of promoting when it's time. But Mm -hmm. I was doing so many other things that didn't fall under that as an author that I realized, oh my gosh. And now that it's been taken off my plate, I'm like, I have all this other time. Oh, right. This is for writing. Right. And I know that sounds silly, but it's real. It's not, it's not silly at all. It's, it's a, it's sort of like you realize that you were doing somebody else's job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of painful because yeah. think of the, the man hours that you were, you were sort of um, spending, expending. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I like to think about, you know, we've, we've, we've both been around the circus for so long. And I think that I've become sort of numb to the idea of how an agent's supposed to work because I started when I was an intern, I saw a lot of bad behavior, um, like from like agents giving editorial feedback, editors, editors giving editorial feedback that would like make people cry. Um, and, and so now I'm sort of getting to the point where like, I adore how nice my agent is, but I know I can trust that behind the scenes, like she's advocating for me in the highest possible capacity. Oh yeah. Her teeth come out. I mean, we share, (laughs) we share this agent and you haven't experienced that, but like that beauty has like sharp teeth. 
as well <laughs> when she needs to take them out, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, it, it's just a very interesting, interesting thing to think about. Um, it took us getting a good agent to know truly what a bad agent or a not so great or ineffective or, or bad for me, bad right? for me agent. Right. Cause not every agent is for us. And so let's well, yeah, go through let's some talk, of yeah. that, like, because there's so much chatter on the timeline about bad agents and I've been, um, and what makes for why an agent is bad. Is it just that they're bad for you or is it that they're bad in general? So like one blanket statement, if an agent or anyone is sexually harassing people, that's a bad agent. It's a bad person. Like goodbye. See you later. Do not pass. Go like no excuse. Right. And so let's talk about a bad bucket and let's talk about like a bad for you. Right. Mm -hmm. A bad for me agent would be someone who doesn't give me a strategy, right? Who wants to throw everything out there willy-nilly, like just throw it at the wall, see what sticks. That kind of, some agents it works really hard, works really well for like a Russian roulette of submissions. Like just throw it out there, see what happens. Can I tell you? It doesn't happen. It's not for me. When Mm -hmm. I interned this agent, uh, he was, he, he, he founded one of the biggest agencies in publishing, like you would know it, but he got kicked out because he was just a disaster. But then he started his own agency. He's no longer in the business, so I won't even bother. But he used to submit to the same pool of 30 editors, no matter what the book was. That was the strategy. And he would always, but he would always sell a book. And that's what sort of in hindsight blows my mind because he would always make a book deal. And (laughs) Was it because he was like white and, uh, and connected and he would just like, you know, uh, some, somebody that somebody knew like the old guard, right? Like we're talking about the old guard of, of this industry. And, and like, that to me is amazing. Cause that, that's not a strategy. No, maybe it's a strategy to him or was, but I can't imagine if like, I found out that like an agent was like, hi, here's my pool of 30 editors. I'm going to send them every submission and just hope that it's like, it's like try like me trying to dunk a basket, like, yeah. you know, and <laughs> like maybe one out of 30, <laughs> somebody's got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's interesting. And, and that's why I feel like for some people, they might like the thrill of everything they send out. Just like shooting shooting it everywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. like doing that, but that doesn't work for me. But like, let's talk about also one that's in the, this is a bad agent category. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say lack of transparency is in the bad agent column. And so when I say lack of transparency, it harkens back to how I was feeling, um, uh, where if I don't know what's going on, or if I don't know what you've said, to my editor and I'm acting under false pretenses or I'm, I'm moving forward in a relationship where I don't know what's happening. That's a problem. If I don't know, you know, where, where my contracts are, what they are, like if I don't have an understanding of them, just a lack of transparency with what's going on with the business that I'm trying to run, um, which is my writing, not having any idea about, did you, did we get paid? Do we have the, do we have the remittance statement? Do we have, um, royalty statements? Um, did, you know, like all of the pieces of the puzzle that sometimes we don't talk about lack of transparency that, that is troubling for me. 
Um, also, if we're going on submission, like not having an idea of what the strategy is or who we're going to, or having conversations about what we're looking for, even the conversation of do you want to see rejections or not? I don't know if you like to see rejections, but I don't. Rejections from editors is sort of like if it's the same rejection, sure. But okay. if it's like one out of, you know, however many. I also haven't been out on submission in a very long time, so I don't know what rejection feels like. Well, you're about to head out. Not saying you're going to have rejection, but like. (laughs) I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Um, It's just because I've been, I've been just bouncing from contract to contract. So like, I don't, I haven't had to face that in a very long time, but um, I do think that like, I I saw all the rejections and now I'm sort of tired of it. Now I would want to see if there's a pattern because if there's a pattern, then the problem is my book. But Mm -hmm. if it's like everyone is different, then it's the editor. Right. And I, I think that I trust my agent enough to be like, to let them make that, 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 uh, that choice. I, I'm, I'm okay. Not seeing rejections because it's not, if, if the book doesn't sell at all, like if it's all rejections, hundred percent, then I'll want to see them because I want to know how to make the book better. But if it's like, but if I get a bite, then like, why would I want to see the rejections? Like that editorial feedback is not going to help my book if I already have an editor. Right. There's a way to, to figure out what you need. And I think an agent's job is also to think about my client. What does my client need? I can pull out useful things, but does the client need Every single rejection from every single person right in their inbox? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe they can't handle all of those emails coming. Maybe it's a spreadsheet where you can pull out just simple quantitative data. Pass one line of why. Um, there's a way to figure out how you're working, if you're working relationships, um, how to get your working relationships to work the best for you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so lack of transparency is another one that I would say goes in the bad column. Right. Do you have anything that will go in the bad for you? What you've learned that just doesn't work for you? I mean, other than communication, like bad communication doesn't work with me. Um, that's, that's actually my biggest one because I think that like not knowing makes me anxious. That communication is the root of everything. Right. Right. Um, because it's, cause if it, it's the root of trust because if you can't trust your agent to get things done or to uh, use the correct language in a contract or et cetera, et cetera, then, then why are you together? You know what I mean? And this is different from like, I've never sold foreign rights. I've never sold a movie. I've never sold this. Like those are other things. Like we're talking about the, the foundation of your working relationship to somebody. Right. And I think that lack of communication can just be death by paper cut, right? Like you sit there, you're stewing, you're stewing, you're stewing, you're waiting on someone, you're anxious, it's hard to write, you just want to know. And that can break trust. It can make you, it can erode self esteem. And it can just really add a layer to this business that we don't need. And so making those communication things upfront is important. Um, I think along those lines, um, something in the bad column that I feel like that I've learned, um, is having a clear idea of what my job is, right? right? When an agent 
isn't clear about what they're doing and what is their responsibility. And I'm the type of person that I'll do everything yeah, because I'm used to making a way out of no way, having, you know what I mean? Like having to, my mother having to do everything, my grandmother having to do everything. So that's all the way that I know that I know that I don't have to be responsible for X, Y, and Z, that I need to read my contracts, ask questions, write my book, promote my book. And that's, that's it. Knowing that, having that clear sense of rules of responsibility, roles and responsibilities is important because I do see a lot of writers who don't realize that they're not supposed to be doing all this other stuff, that it's their agent's job. It makes me so frustrated. Oh my God. Because, you know, stuff like sending out for blurbs, how do you get a film agent? How do you get a foreign rights agent? And I'm like, baby, you're agent should have these answers and the fact that they don't means that there's something wrong in the pipeline right like if your agent doesn't want to go out and get blurbs for you and your editor doesn't want to go out and get blurbs for you like what's happening right like there's I think that there's a miscommunication and there's something wrong there exactly so that's like in the rut row um category Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're also like rut rows, like you don't pay your agent to read a book. You don't pay our agent to read a book, right? Those are things that hopefully the whole industry knows, right? You right. don't pay a publisher to publish your book, things like that. We're talking about for these relationships um, and how to know if it's going sour. Another one that is in the bad category that I learned from personal experience is that my second agent, I used to be very afraid of her. Mm. So much so that when she would email me, I would get a hot flash because the power dynamic was off. Right. And I had to realize, and this is something that I hope that other writers realize, is that this person works for you. You, are, you guys are in a car together and, and you're driving and this person is in the passenger seat with you with the GPS, helping navigate you along the road. Not telling you where to go, but saying like, this is where we should get off. This is, should we eat here? Should we not eat here? You are not in a, in a car seat in the back seat. And that's how I felt. and, And my body was registering that power dynamic and giving me anxiety to those hot flashes of reading her email, emails, because I was afraid. I was afraid of what she was going to say because I hadn't debuted yet. I was afraid every two seconds that I was going to be told, here's another 30 edit, 30 page edit letter. No, you're just not ready yet. You just, just sit here. You're just not ready yet. It's just not good enough yet. And power dynamics are important. Yeah. And I would say that there's something to consider. That's also, that's, I agree with that to expand on that a little bit. Um, when you're, unable to communicate with your with your agent because because you're afraid of them or because you're worried about their answer like the, that direct line is broken mm-hmm. and something needs to like i i sometimes i've had like authors ask me questions and i'm like well what does your agent say and they're like oh i don't want to bother them and i'm like well bother them it's their job and i i used to say this too it's like oh sorry to bother you and then my agent would say like oh it's my job right but like so they're so the I, I get that. Like that's, that's something that is really important. And, and they were aware of that. Um, so one thing I want to bring up is like, what about agents who have a reputation for being cranky? 
or rude. I mean, that's a person. That's a personality thing. I right? agree with that. I agree with that. So as long as they're like not that. cranky with me, right? Like your agent shouldn't be rude to you, right? I mean, yeah, that's a given, right? No mm-hmm. rudeness. There's no need to be rude. But some people have cranky personalities. It's whether oh, it's absolutely. sarcastic and self-deprecating, or if you whether catch it's- me at an event. Like I'm like for five seconds, I'm in a bad mood before I like pick myself back up. I'm like, if somebody says hi to me and I just happen to be in a, like a bad, like cranky, I just got off. I was late and I was in a stinky cab or the subway was smelling terrible because it was closed and like, I'm hot. Obviously this is all pre pandemic. (laughs) I was like, what life is this? But like, and then I get to an event and I'm like cranky for two seconds and somebody jumps at me. Like, of course I'm going to be cranky. Like, I think that I'm okay with like somebody having a reputation for being a hardball or as long as like that doesn't transcend to me, that's our primary relationship. But I, I, that's something that I wouldn't, I would not worry about. I also friends, Zoraida's version of cranky is like not even that cranky. Like I've seen I'm fucking cranky. cranky. You've never seen me mad, bro. I've you don't want to see me mad. I've seen, I haven't seen you mad. Cranky is different than mad. Yeah. Cranky. I've seen you like petite cranky, but like of the crank meter, mm-hmm. it's very light. Cause I don't want to be like that in public, but right. I can get mad. And when I'm mad, I'm mean. I'm here for that. But in terms of you don't have a cranky personality, you might be tired or like, overwhelmed or stressed or like annoyed but like yeah i do think that personality differences are important or are interesting to think about with an agent do yeah. i feel comfortable with this person because if you don't feel comfortable with like more of a cranky person it might not work for you you might need yeah. sunshine you might need susie sunshine that might be something that makes you feel safe mm-hmm. versus like you know what i mean crabby kathy which is fine you know what i mean like we all have I like a good, I like good sarcasm. I like good humor. I love that. Um, I like a good sass. Mm -hmm. Like those are like the kinds of folks. And even my previous agent, she had, you know what I mean? She's like very sassy. Um, and you know, no bullshit, which I enjoy because then we can be petty together. I need to be able to go to the petty with you. I think this is a situation where you separate the, like the gossip from the, what actually works because everyone's personalities are different. Like not everyone in, in like, of course everyone has to be professional, but like to know that you can be human with me because right. it's a very human experience. And like all of the human, right, cause we're not in Pleasantville. No. And almost everybody, I mean, this is all again, pre pandemic, like everyone works in New York. Everyone's cranky all the time, but exactly. you know what? If somebody asks me for directions, I'm going to put a smile on my face and say, Oh, you're going the wrong way. This is the right way to go. Right. Like, yeah. I'm going to help you even though like I'm, I put my game face on when I'm in the subway. Like that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely an interesting thing too. And just like knowing what you need, knowing, knowing your own trauma, honestly, because you need to know what kind of personalities really gel with yours and ones mm-hmm. that, that can trigger you or make you feel if uncomfortable. If you're a super anxious person, you probably like that, like, you know, you're not comfortable with like somebody raising their voice. You probably don't want like, you have to figure out what kind of personality works best for you to match. You were going to say a name. You were going to say a name and you didn't say that name. And no, I'm so glad you- No, I wasn't going to say a name. Okay. I, I actually didn't think of a name. I was trying to figure out a I way to thought say. of a name. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say this name. But yeah, you just have to know who you, what you, what kind of vibe. It's really a vibe. 
what kind of vibe you need. Um, and it changes, right? I needed a particular type of vibe when I started my career. I probably needed someone who didn't make me feel afraid. Um, and then I needed a different, I needed something different now where I need someone who's like, no bullshit, straight up. We don't have a lot of time. So it's like, let's run it through. Let's strategize. Let's be a little petty because I need petty to moisturize my skin. And like, let's get to work. And it's just a very different, it's like different machinery. It's a different way to go. I don't need any more handholding because I'm at this point. I need someone who's going to allow me to like cuss and be like, oh, fuck that, blah, blah, blah. And then be like, okay, got it out. Now back to business. Like Mm -hmm. Joanna Volpe can, can attest to me, like just losing it on the phone. And she'll be like, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Like I'm so annoyed. And then be like, okay. Now, what do you want to do? And then right. we just keep it going. And so, you know what I mean? Like, I need, I need that. Um, I need that desperately, too, at this point in my career. So I have one for the category of doesn't work for me, what I found out from my experience. I feel like there are three phases for from when you go from debut, ta- like, noob to, like, published. And phase one is... I've signed with the agent and now we're getting to work on the manuscript and we're editing phase two submission and figuring out what editor and hopefully sale. And then phase three is like working with your editor. I always felt perpetually stuck in phase one where I couldn't even see ahead because I hadn't been given the strategy or the path forward um, or confidence that we would get, get to the end. So I always felt like I was, Oh my God, here's another revision. Oh my God, here's another thing. Here's another thing, another obstacle. So I didn't understand the method of the madness. Um, And then with my agent after that, my third agent, it was, we were always, we were in phase two selling books and things, but I never understood the method of the madness of, are we going to get good? Are we going to have good editor relationships? Do we, do we have a strategy for where this should be placed? Um, Have you thought about, who I would work best with and what kind of list. Again, it goes to like timeline. Thinking about, have you thought through the timeline for me for, for each book and how I re- relate to those phases um, and how anxiety-ridden the first phase is? Saying at the onset, hey, I'm, we're going to do, saddle up, we're going to do about three revisions on this book before we take it out because I really believe that it's going to take you about three revisions. First one being plot, second one being character and world, and third one being cleanup to really get this polished to where we need it to be. Or just saying two revisions, right? So that I knew, I'm the type of person that needs to know what's coming down, um, you know what I mean? Coming down the obstacle course so that I can plan. Mm-hmm. Because I never knew that and I never was given the plan. I felt in an end- endless doldrums of anxiety where I just didn't know what was coming next. And it was like, Oh, well, here's another edit letter, another edit letter, another one. This is never going to be ready. I'm never leaving here. I'm stuck here. Oh God. Right. And that was very, very hard on the self-esteem. And so I realized that like now I need to know immediately where it's at. How many revisions do you think we're going to do? And what are our goals for it? What kind of shape do you want it to go out in? Or what kind of shape do you think that it could sell? That way right. I can, my anxiety can turn off and I can say, okay, great. 
have about three revisions, even if someone says three to four, right? At least I know a number. Right. I can saddle up and prepare that this is not going on. I've never on in gotten a month. that. I've never gotten that. And that's because I haven't I haven't gotten it without anything new with my like my my current agent. But before that, I I think that like I got a couple of notes and but it was never like it was, it was surface, uh, which is frustrating. Right. Right. Because it never felt ready for me. Mm-hmm. And I think what I know now, I'm a, I have better storytelling instincts. So now that I know when I turn in something, how many revisions it's going to take. But when I first started, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Now I know, oh, shoot. I've got to handle all of these things. And I know I need to spread it over three passes because I can't do all of them in one just because of how hard it is to revise. But I wish that I had had an agent in the past that was like, okay, I think this is going to take a couple. So saddle up. Don't think that we're going to go out next month or the month after that. We've got like eight to 12 months of back and forth. So then it just goes back to communication. Yes. Maybe it is communication, (laughs) but maybe it is also having someone who thinks through the timeline for you. Yeah. So. I guess, so our takeaways are communication. Yeah. Timeline. Timeline. Strategy. Right. Um, personality. Right. Right. Knowing what works for you. Personality slash the vibe. Right? Yeah. Vibe. You get a vibe from someone um, and whether or not you can tell them the truth and that you can receive information back from them. But, you know, agent avenue is very complicated. But just realize that like you can always change agents and there's no shame in that. I right. definitely stayed too long. Um, Me too. And I think that it's because we internalize a fear of leaving. Also, I think that we internalize the idea that we can't, we'll never get another offer because yeah. it's so hard to break into this industry and the fear of nobody else is going to want me. And if your agent makes you feel like that, then one, bad. Um, but if you if you're no longer seeing eye to eye in a creative standpoint, that's not good. And I think that we we get stuck in this idea that okay, this person I've we've been together for X Y Z. That means you don't owe anybody anything, right? It's not a marriage; it's a working relationship. And when the working relationship no longer works, then it's okay to go your separate ways. And I've, I've known a lot of authors that have had hard times with this because the, the other party was unprofessional and like refused to answer calls and didn't want to continue to do the work and just left them on red essentially for, for contracts. And, and so I'm, there are going to be situations where things are going to go sour. Yeah. And not every agent is for everybody. And there are great agents that I've left that just didn't work for me. And I think you have to weigh and measure what works for you. Um, and that comes back to knowing who you are, what you want, and spending some time to create your own vision. Think about the careers that you would like. I always say that I want to be the love child of Neil Gaiman and Virginia Hamilton. Someone that Neil has lots of different kinds of books that he does, and people engage in that work from science fiction, fantasy to graphic novels, to, you know what I mean? To like all right. to TV shows. To, he does a lot. And then you've got, um, Virginia Hamilton, who writes these classic books 
that are steeped in Black American Southern tradition, which is where I come from. And I wanted to find the marriage between that and someone who can steward that. And then on my cake side, I've always wanted to be the Shonda Rhimes of books. Mm -hmm. So having a team that can understand that I've always wanted to put out really strong, commercially focused, fun, diverse titles and be able to help me reach my goals. But if you don't know who you are you and what you want to do and who you want to be and whose careers you're modeling yourself after, like I'm chasing, you know, who is your white rabbit? You can't invite someone into your team to know what to do. So then you have, you come in without knowing who you are and what you want. Right. And there's that breakdown in communication because your agent can't guess for you. You have to know, you have to give them that answer. Where do you want to, where do you see yourself in five years? What, what are your primary goals? What do you want to focus on? Film, foreign, audiobook, a six figure deal, a multiple book deal. Like, what do you want to focus on? What do you want? And we have to be honest with ourselves of what we want and how we make the road to get there. Absolutely. And I think that's a perfect way to end our time on Agent Avenue. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's it for this week's episode of Deadline City. Thank you so, so much for listening to us. Our goal is to demystify the publishing and writing process and count on listeners like you for your support. So don't forget to review, comment, subscribe, and chat with us on our Twitter and Instagram Deadline City accounts. If you like what you hear, buy us a coffee on Ko-fi or join our Patreon community. So see you next week. And for now, right on. Deadline City is part of the Frolic Podcasts Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.